Well, um, this morning, I'd like to return back to that passage that we read from a few moments ago in 2 Kings and chapter 2 as we uh, continue, as I said, this series looking at the life and the ministry and the miracles of the prophet Elisha. And last week, we began to uh, look at this passage that details with us this uh, departure of Elijah. And as I was uh, studying this week, I felt there were a number of details that uh, we hadn't been able to cover last time, and I thought it would be helpful for us to consider uh, this morning. Now, you'll recall, of course, that this is the passage uh, in which Elijah knew that he was going to be taken up into heaven. We said last week we're not sure how Elijah knew this, but the Lord had revealed this truth to him, and so Elijah takes this this journey down to the River Jordan. The River Jordan, of course, so often is in Scripture used as a symbol of death, although, of course, Elijah here doesn't actually taste death himself. But before Elijah goes to Jordan, he visits these various places along the way, places, of course, that were hugely significant in the history of the nation of Israel. He begins, you notice, in verse 1 at Gilgal. That was the place that was mentioned back in Joshua chapter 4 and verse 19. You'll remember how the children of Israel, they crossed the Jordan on dry land and Joshua commanded the people to take 12 stones, 12 stones out of the bed of the river Jordan, one for each tribe. And in Joshua chapter 4 and verse 20, you can read there how those 12 stones which they took out, they pitched in Gilgal, they set them up for a memorial and we're told there in verse 24 that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord that it is mighty that ye might fear the Lord your God forever it was a place Gilgal was a place that showed the people that God was mighty but Elijah goes from Gilgal and he goes down to Bethel and just the very name of the place Bethel would immediately have reminded every Israelite of its significance The name Bethel, of course, means house of God. Abraham erected an altar there, didn't he? And Jacob had that glorious dream of that ladder that he saw angels ascending and descending. It was a place of worship, a place of communion with God. Sadly, in the days of Elijah, it had become a place of false worship, a place of idolatry. Remember back in the days of Jeroboam, He had erected a golden calf for the people to serve at Bethel. False worship was brought to the very house of God. And of course, many people sadly today bring false worship, don't they, into places that were once Bethels, places where God had communion with his people. But Elijah moves on from Gilgal and Bethel and he moves down to Jericho. And of course, there's another place of great significance in the history of God's people. It was the place where he had given them a remarkable victory, hadn't he, over their enemies. The impenetrable walls of this great city crumbled. Rahab was saved alive and Joshua had issued a warning, if you remember, that anyone who rebuilt the city would be cursed. And yet sadly, in the days of King Ahab, the very days of Elijah the prophet, in his very days of his ministry, we read that the foundations of this accursed city were laid again. You can read about that in 1 Kings chapter 16. It's a reminder to us, isn't it, that the days that Elijah and Elisha were living in were days of great wickedness. 
The cursed city of Jericho was rebuilt. And then lastly, we notice that that he goes on from Jericho down to the river Jordan. It's the place where Joshua, of course, had miraculously crossed the place where the children of Israel had gone into the, the land of promise. And they'd done so on dry land. But as we noticed last week, that while Elijah travels to these different places, Elisha refuses to leave his sight. I will not leave thee, I will not leave thee, he keeps repeating. And we thought last week, didn't we, of the devotion of Elisha to his master. A picture of what the Christian's devotion to Christ should look like. And we also noted his affection. There was this wonderful fellowship and friendship, wasn't there, between Elijah and Elisha, between the master and his disciple. And again, we noted what a wonderful pattern that is for us to have with our Savior. There should be a wonderful fellowship and friendship as we walk day by day with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we lastly noted, didn't we, the separation. These two inseparable friends were parted. And Elijah was taken up into heaven by a whirlwind. Elisha was left. It was a day of separation for Elijah and Elisha, but it reminds us, doesn't it, that as believers, while we sojourn presently in this world, we look for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God's. But this morning I want to look at a further three things that we can see from this passage. And the first thing I want us to look at this morning is the departing prophet's question. The departing prophet's question. You notice that before Elijah is taken up to heaven, as he stands on the other side of the Jordan, he poses a question to Elisha. Notice what it says there in verse 9. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. He looks at his companion, he looks at his his friend and he says, look, what would you like me to do before I go? I'm shortly about to leave you, but if there's one last request of me, what, what would it be? Now, Elijah knows that in a few moments his experience is going to be one of only joy and blessing but for Elisha who's going to be left behind he's going to be left behind in this world of sin and pain and so he asked him this question what would you like me to do and Elisha's response is is interesting you notice what he says here in verse 9 and Elisha said I pray thee let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me Now, to understand what Elisha is is asking for here, we need to turn back in our Bibles to Deuteronomy and chapter 21. If you have a Bible, it would be helpful if you could turn there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 21. And this is one of these passages where Moses is laying down various laws for the people, civil laws for the nation of Israel. And in verses 15 through to 17 we're given the law concerning the rights of the firstborn son if you look at verse 15 the question is posed about a man who has two wives and this man he loves one but he hates uh, the other but the problem that's raised is well this man's firstborn son is born to the wife that he doesn't love the one that he hates And so Moses details for us here in verses 16 and 17 that the firstborn son was not to be cut off. Rather, in verse 17, he says, But he shall acknowledge the son of the hated 
for the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he hath. For he is the beginning of his strength, the right of the firstborn is his. And so what Moses is emphasizing here is that the firstborn son, no matter who the son was born to, should receive what was lawfully his. And what was lawfully his was a double portion. He would receive twice as much as all the other sons because he is the beginning of his strength, it says. The firstborn, of course, received part of what was already belonging to his father. And so Elisha, seeing the great prophet, uh, is about to be taken from him and he asks for this, uh, this request, what do you want? Elisha says to him, that I may receive the firstborn's portion, that I may receive double of what you had. He seeks that the same power would be conferred to him. In effect, he's saying, look, if I cannot have your presence, please, I pray, let me have your spirits. He can bear the loss of his friend, but only if he's granted the spirits of his friends. And what Elisha prays for here is, is a noble request. He wanted to be a blessing just as Elijah had been a blessing. He wanted to be used of God just as Elijah had been used of God. Elijah had been a mighty instrument in the hand of God, hadn't he? And Elisha says, let me be likewise. And I think there's also a great humility here on the part of Elisha. As he asks for this double portion, I think he feels his own weakness and his own inadequacy. I think he looks at the size of the task confronting him and he realises that he could not press on in the Lord's work trusting in himself, trusting in his own strength, trusting in the arm of flesh. And so he asks for his double portion of the spirits. And again, friends, I think this morning we see here in the life of Elisha a wonderful example for us. As we labor in the Lord's work, we must continually realize that we will not be, it will not be succeed through our own talents and our own strengths. God's work progresses not because of our efforts and our abilities. Remember what it says in Zechariah 4 and verse 6, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We read earlier, didn't we, in John chapter 16, Remember what the Lord says there in verse 23, in John chapter 16. Let me just turn to it. John chapter 16 and verse 23, he says, In that day ye shall ask me nothing. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Jesus says, Look, bring your request to the Father in my name. Seek from my heavenly Father the strength and the grace that you need. He says, ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. We're to ask. You remember, these words of Christ were spoken not long before he was about to depart from them. And he promised them that he would send the spirit of truth, and the, truth, the spirit of truth would guide them into all truth. And believer, this morning we need daily the spirit's help. We need the Spirit to instruct us as we read God's Word. We need His help as we fight inward sin. We need His help as we seek, don't we, to walk uprightly in this perverse and crooked generation. We were thinking with the children that we are soldiers for Christ. We need His Spirit to help us in that fight. And you remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 11? Remember, He said, If ye being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, 
How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? You know, the problem is that so often we don't ask. Jesus said, didn't he, back in John chapter 16, the passage we read a few moments ago in verse 24, he says, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. And I think this is a problem that we all face as Christians, isn't it? We ask the question, why don't we see the church blessed like it has been blessed in the past? Why do I not see blessing in my own life? Why is it that I so often fall into sin and so on? And we ask these kind of questions and maybe it's because we never ask. Why is it we don't see as many conversions today as being recorded in years gone past? Well, maybe it's because as a church we don't ask. Why do we hear more and more churches turning away from the old paths? Well, perhaps it's because we haven't brought this to the Lord in prayer. Elijah says to Elisha here, ask what I shall do for thee. The Lord, in a sense, says the same to us. Ask. And Elisha here, in his humility, he asked for something which Elijah said was a hard thing. But the Lord granted it to him. Because he says, doesn't he, he says there about, if you see me as I go up, and in verse 12 it says, and Elisha saw it. And the Lord answered Elisha's hard request. And here's a wonderful example to us. Let's ask the Lord. Ask him for his spirit day by day to help us. Well, secondly, though, this morning I want us to notice the remaining prophet's query. The remaining prophet's query. You notice what uh, happens here. Elijah's taken up into heaven in verse 11. Elisha is left behind. And the mantle of Elijah, the prophet's cloak, it falls from him as he ascends up into heaven by the whirlwind. And in verse 12, Elisha laments this. He says, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. He laments the departure of his friends. It's always sad, isn't it, when good men... And good women are taken from us. But in his lament, he, he describes Elijah here as a chariot of Israel and a horseman. He uses these two, these two descriptions to describe what Elijah was like. And, of course, the horse and the chariot in those days were symbols of strength and, and might and power. Seeing horses and chariots on, on a battlefield would have struck fear into the heart of any soldier about to face it. And Elisha says here that Elijah was like a chariot. He was like a, a regiment of horses. He was, he was mighty and he struck fear into the hearts of those who were opposed to gods. But now this mighty man is gone. And Elisha picks up Elijah's mantle and standing once more on the banks of the Jordan, he takes this mantle and he strikes the water. And as he does so in verse 14, he cries out, look at the question that he cries out, where is the Lord God of Elijah? It's an interesting question. Elijah the chariot, Elijah the mighty horse is gone. But the question that he might ask, Elisha might ask here is, well, look, the God of Elijah, has he gone too? Elijah's gone, but has the God of Elijah gone with him? And Elisha's question is, is met with an immediate response from the Lord himself. 
It was not an answer like Elijah had heard in a still, small voice, but it was an answer that was clear to everyone who was watching on, because as Elijah, as Elijah smites the waters, they, they part, and Elisha crosses over the river Jordan on dry ground. Elisha asks this question, where is the God of Elijah? And the God of Elijah responds and says, I'm with you. And this reminds us, doesn't it, of Joshua chapter 1. Moses, remember, the great man of God had died. And perhaps Joshua wondered in his heart whether the Lord was still going to be with his people. And like Elisha, Joshua needed to cross the Jordan and he's wondering, is the Lord God going to be with me as he was with my predecessor, as he was with Moses? And the question maybe on his mind is, where is the Lord God of Moses? You know, in that passage in Joshua chapter 1, how the Lord comes to him and speaks to him and reassures him. And he says there, he says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. And that's what takes place here in 2 Kings chapter 2. It's a, it's a reminder to us, isn't it, that God's power is not tied just to one era. What God has done in the past, he, he can do again. The same God that rolled back the Red Sea for Moses can part the Jordan for Joshua. The same God that parted the Jordan for Elijah can then part the Jordan again for Elisha. And God can still work today, can't he, friends? The same God who did all of this is still our God today. We can say, can't we, with the psalmist, this God is our God forever and ever. And our Saviour is with us, isn't he, always, even to the end of the world. And we can say that the God who was with, say, Luther during the Reformation and all the Reformers, he can still do a mighty work today. The God who sent his spirit in the great awakening in in the 18th century in this land is still the same God that we serve today. And what he's done in the past, he can can do again. And we may say also here that just because the instrument had changed, God was still working. In a sense, it didn't matter, did it, whether it was Elijah or whether it was Elisha. God can use both in his service. It doesn't matter whether it's a Moses or whether it's a Joshua. God can use both. And it's good for us, isn't it, to remind ourselves of this at times. It's all the Lord's work. And good men may depart this world, but the Lord raises up others, other laborers to labor in his harvest. It may sadden us when we hear of older Christians leaving this present scene of time, but God's work goes on and on. Paul may plant, Apollos may water, but it's the Lord who gives the increase. And so we should never be dispirited, friends, in the work of the Lord, because it doesn't rely on times and it doesn't rely on instruments, but it's his work and it's in his hands. Elijah goes, but the God of Elijah remains. And we may say this morning, where is the Lord God of Elijah? But he's still here and he's still with his people. We've seen then this morning the leaving prophet's question and the remaining prophet's query. But I want you to finally notice with me and very briefly the sons of the prophet's quest. The sons of the prophet's quest. While Elisha and Elijah had crossed the Jordan, you remember that 50 men of the sons of the prophets had stood to view this from a distance. They were watching on. 
I don't want to say much about the sons of the prophets today. We'll come across the sons of the prophets uh, as we continue our studies in, in, a, in the life of Elisha. But these 50 men, they watch as the two go across, but only one returns. And having seen Elisha take the mantle and part the waters of the Jordan, there was, there's no doubt in their mind that Elisha has now succeeded Elijah, that he is the new prophet in his room. The spirit of Elijah was now resting on him, and they bowed down before him in verse 15. When they met him, they bowed themselves to the ground. Now we know that it had been revealed to them that Elijah was going to be taken. We have this query, don't we, over and over again. They say to Elisha, you know, do you not know that your master is going to be taken today? They, they knew Elijah was going to be taken from him. But obviously not all the details were given to them. Because they now ask in verse 16, look, can we go and find him? It was a request, I think, done so out of love. It was out of love for Elijah. They loved their master. But they think that perhaps the Lord has put him on some mountain or taken him to some valley. That the spirit of the Lord has whisked him off and, and he's still somewhere else. But you remember that Elisha's seen him go into heaven. Elisha knows this is going to be a, a fruitless search. He knows where, where Elijah is. And so he says to them, he says, you shall not send in verse 16. Don't go. But they wouldn't listen. They press him. They keep asking until the point that he's actually ashamed. And so in the end, he's so fed up with them, wearying him with this request. He says, look, just go. And so these 50 strong men, they go off on this quest for three days, looking for Elijah, three days of toil. But it says, doesn't it, that they found him not, in verse 17. They were obstinate and stubborn. And when they come back to Elisha, Elisha basically says to them, you know, I told you so. I told you, you this would be a fruitless search, but you didn't listen to me. And they were slow to believe. They were unwilling to listen and they were unwilling to learn. And they didn't trust the word of Elisha. And I think, friends, this can be true of us at times, can't it, as believers? We can be told plain truths from Scripture. We can be told that certain practices will be spiritually harmful for us. We can be warned of dangers. And yet we don't listen. And in the end, we have to learn the hard way. And we can be so often slow, can't we, to believe and trust the word of God. And we can be obstinate and we can dig our heels in and seek our own way. And of course the Lord may at times allow us to go in certain directions and take certain paths. And he may warn us and we may ignore him. And spend, as it were, figuratively three days of toil. But to no avail. And that's why James instructs us, doesn't he? Be ye doers of the words. And not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Proverbs 9 verse 9 says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will yet be wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. And I think there's a lesson here for us. Do we listen to what God's word tells us? Do we obey it? Do we obey when older Christians instruct us and say to us, Do you not realize that the path that you're on is harmful? It's not good. It's going to lead you into sin. The sons of the prophets here learnt a hard lesson. Well, 
I trust us this morning here, we will not have to learn hard lessons. It will be those who listen and obey the word of God. We pray that we would receive God's word prayerfully, that we would receive it sincerely. We would receive it with humility and thankfulness. May the Lord help us and bless this word to us this morning.